Welcome to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. Thank you for tuning in. We pray that the following message will help you connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and others. If you have your Bibles with you, open them to the book of Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50. We're going to read verses 15 through 21 of Genesis chapter 50. It's uh, the conclusion of what we call the Joseph story in the book of Genesis. And this message is entitled, What an Ancient Family Squabble Teaches Us About Modern Human Nature. All right, we're going to begin with verse 15 of Genesis chapter 50 and read through verse 21 and then keep your Bible open to Genesis because we'll be reading More scripture from there momentarily. Genesis 50, verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father, Jacob, was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. The book of Genesis is one of the most important books of the Bible. As you know, there are 66 books of the Bible. Someone could argue that all of those books are important, and that would be true. But it's also true that uh, not all of those Bible books have the same level of importance. Some of the books are more important than others, and Genesis is one of those. I would put it in the top three most important books in the Bible, perhaps along with uh, the Gospel of John and Paul's letter to the Romans in the top three. Certainly, Genesis ranks near the top. The book of Genesis, 50 chapters, can be broadly divided up into two main sections. The first section covers God's relationship to what we observe in our world. We observe that there is a world, there is an earth, there is a solar system, there is a universe, there is creation. We also observe that not everything is right in our world. A lot of things are not right. We observe that there are different types of people groups in our world, and those people groups, many of them speak uh, thousands of different languages, and it's very difficult for us to understand people who speak the same language as us, let alone someone who speaks a different language. And so the first section talks about God's relationship to what we observe in our world. 
In Genesis 1 and 2, uh, we see the creation. God creates the universe, Genesis 1, from a bird's eye view. And then in Genesis 2, he focuses in up close and creates humankind, Adam and Eve in the garden. Beginning with uh, chapter 3 and going through chapter 5, we see the fall of the human race, the fall of the human race into sin. Adam and Eve uh, disobey God in the garden. In Genesis 3 and Genesis 4, their sons, Cain and Abel, get into an argument and one of them murders the other. And things get worse until you get into uh, chapter 5 and and things have gotten so bad that when we open up chapter 6, God says, I'm going to have to destroy everything and start over. So you have the creation in Genesis 1 and 2. You have the fall in Genesis 3 through 5. You have the flood and Noah in chapters 6 through 9. And beginning in chapter 10, you have in chapters 10 and 11, what we call the Babel story, the Tower of Babel. Those are, those make up the first section of Genesis. But beginning with chapter 12, And going through the end of Genesis, chapter 50, we see a a section that describes the the beginnings of the people of Israel. The beginnings, the origins of the people of Israel. It starts out with a man named Abram, who God later changes his name to Abraham. We're introduced to Abram in the final three verses of chapter 11, but really introduced to him intimately beginning with chapter 12. Abraham and Sarah then have a son uh, named Isaac, and Isaac and his wife Rebekah have two sons, uh, Jacob and Esau. And then Jacob, their uh, youngest son, uh, has 12 sons. God later changes Jacob's name to Israel. And these 12 sons uh, have children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren to an abundance to the point where they're big enough that we can call them a nation. So the second section, chapters 12 through 50, talk about the beginnings of the people of Israel and therefore the origins of their nation. It is interesting when you talk about that second section that the bulk of the material in Genesis in that second section deals with only one of the grandchildren. Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob, Jacob had 12 sons. The 11th of those 12 sons was a man by the name of Joseph. And fully 13 chapters in the book of Genesis, just over 25% of the material in that book is devoted to telling the story of this one grandchild, great-grandchild of Abraham, named Joseph. We call it the Joseph story. It starts with chapter 37, skips 38, picks back up with 39, and continues to chapter 50. All of that is the Joseph's story. It is a story about a sibling rivalry that develops between Joseph on one hand and his, at first, 10 brothers, 
Joseph was the 11th of 12 sons. At the, for the longest, for the early part of his uh, uh, life, he was the baby. He was the, the youngest of, his, uh, of the 11 uh, children. The final son, Benjamin, would not come until years later. And uh, the problem with, with Joseph being the younger son is that his father, Jacob, favored him. He was daddy's boy. And if you have 11 sons and only one of them you refer to as daddy's boy, the other 10 are not going to like it. There's just no way around it. And so there arose a sibling rivalry that was started by Jacob, fueled by some things that happened over the course of 13 chapters and... uh, It turns out being a a family squabble that reveals so much about human nature. So we read a few verses in the concluding chapter of that Joseph story. Let's go back to chapter 37 where the Joseph story begins. And let's begin reading with verse 2 of Genesis 37. This is the the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, that's a very important timeline mark right there. This all starts when Joseph is 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah, the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And notice this, Joseph brought their father a bad report about them. Now, let me just stop right there and say, we don't know if this bad report was true or not. The Bible doesn't give any editorial about the, the uh, authenticity of the report. But Joseph decides that he's going to tell his father something bad about his brothers. Verse 3. Now, Israel, by the way, Israel and Jacob are interchangeable names for the same person. God changes Jacob's name to Israel. So now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Big, big problem. Because Joseph had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. Now, for those of us who were raised in church, brought to every vacation Bible school in the history of the planet, raised in Sunday school, and we've, we've seen and read this story, you, you know from the King James Version, the coat of many colors, Je- Joseph's coat of many colors. Jacob, or Israel, makes for Joseph this uh, this coat of many colors, this very expensive coat, he does not purchase one of these coats for the rest of the boys. Big, big, big problem. Verse four, when his brothers saw that their father loved Joseph more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. All right, so you get the picture. Things are not good. There's this family squabble based on a sibling rivalry, but it gets worse. Verse five, Joseph had a dream. And when he told the dream to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. 
we were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around my sheaf and bowed down to it. Now you can imagine that news was received about like uh, a plague. It gets worse. Verse 8, his brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he said. This is a bad situation getting worse. Verse 9, then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him. Now, this is, this is Jacob rebuking this favorite son of his. This, this is how bad it gets. And he said, what is this, you, this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Verse 12. Now, Joseph's brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. Now, I want you to notice here that, J that Jacob has sent all of Joseph's brothers to another city to work. Joseph, he kept at home. After all, he's daddy's boy, right? He sends the other brothers to Shechem. And Israel, Jacob, said to Joseph, as you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem, so come, I'm going to send you to them. Very well, Joseph replied. So he said to him, go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me. How about that now? Uh, all the other brothers are out working. Joseph has already had qualms with those brothers. He's already uh, brought back a bad report. So jo uh, Jacob says, I want you to go and check on your, on your brothers. Yeah, that's going to go real, real well. Skip to verse, the middle of verse 17. So Joseph went after his brothers. He found them near Dothan, but they saw him in the distance. And before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. A cistern is a well. And say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what will come of his dreams. When Reuben, Reuben's one of the brothers, heard this, he tried to rescue Joseph from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of that robe. You remember that robe? the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. Verse 25, and, at, and as they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. And Judah, another one of the brothers, 
who, by the way, was the great-great-grandfather of Jesus, Judah was. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him, for after all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood, and his brothers agreed. Now, let me just stop here for a moment and say, these brothers had taken Joseph, stripped him of that expensive coat, thrown him into a dry well. Why a dry well? They didn't want him to have any water to drink. So they threw him into a dry well. As they're waiting and eating and thinking about what they're going to do to Joseph, they see a caravan, a merchant caravan, and the scripture here says they were, that it was an Ishmaelite caravan, Ishmael. Now you remember that Abraham and Sarah, the great-grandfather of Joseph, Abraham and Sarah couldn't have children. And they got old, didn't think they could have any child. And so Sarah says to Abraham, Abraham, we need to, we need to kind of help God out a little bit here. And so she said, why don't you take our handmaiden, a little servant maid, and she was young. Hagar was probably about 19 or 20. Abraham and Sarah were in their 80s and 90s. And, and Sarah says, why don't you have a relationship with Hagar? I'm sure Hagar loved that. And let her have a child for us. She did have a child. Abraham agreed. Of course he would. And he went in and had a relationship with her. Hagar conceived. She has a child named, here it is, Ishmael. But God says to Abraham, <laughs> Ishmael's not the one I promised you. And so a little bit later on, miraculously, Sarah becomes pregnant and she later gives birth to Isaac. So they have Isaac who was born of Sarah, Ishmael, who's born of Hagar. When Isaac is born, suddenly Sarah decides she hates Hagar and she hates Ishmael. And she says to Abraham, you've got to put them out. And Abraham, at a period of spinelessness, expels Hagar and her son Ishmael. But God said to Abraham, he says, don't worry, I will make a great nation out of Ishmael and his descendants too. You know this, I'm sure. Ishmael is the father of the Arab world. Isaac is the father of the Jewish world. They fought all during the Old Testament times. They're fighting today in the 21st century. But I bring you back to this scripture where it says in verse 27, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites, our distant cousins who we really don't recognize as family at all. Verse 28, so when the Midianite merchants, these Ishmaelites, came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him, watch this, sold him for 20 shekels of silver. Does that remind you of anything, by the way? They sold Jesus for 30. Sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. Now, I'm going to stop right there. That's, in, that's still in chapter 37. Again, the rest of the story goes from chapter 39 to 50. Over the next 13 years, Joseph is sold to a merchant caravan who then puts him on a slave auction block. 
He is purchased by a man who is an official in Egypt named Potiphar. Joseph becomes Potiphar's slave. He earns uh, Potiphar's trust, and Potiphar makes him a household slave, which is, is a, a slave still, but one who's higher up on the ladder. And so Joseph is, is uh, in Potiphar's house. Then Joseph is falsely accused by Potiphar's wife of sexual harassment. He is found guilty, although he was innocent. He is thrown in prison. So he goes from being a slave on the auction block to a household slave in Egypt to a prisoner in a prison for a crime he didn't commit. While he's there, he meets two other men who formerly worked for Pharaoh and have been thrown in prison. One of them's a butcher, one of them's a baker. You read about this in Vacation Bible School as well in early Sunday school. And they have dreams. And Joseph is sitting there, and they're telling him their dreams. And he says, oh, I know what that means. And, and he begins interpreting their dreams. And their dreams basically meant that one of them was, was going to be executed by Pharaoh, and the other one was going to be reinstated by Pharaoh to his previous position of authority. And those things happened. But Joseph said to the one who would be reinstated, he says, when you are reinstated, please remember me. Don't forget me. But he did forget him. And so Joseph languished in that prison until finally Pharaoh had a couple of dreams. And this, this uh, fellow who'd been reinstated says, oh, yeah, I remember now there was this guy I met in prison. He was in the cell with me. I think he was named Joseph. I think he was one of those Jewish people. And he, he was able to interpret the dreams that, that my colleague and I had. And I bet he could interpret your dream too, Pharaoh. And so Pharaoh calls Joseph. Joseph is able to interpret Pharaoh's dream, which basically the interpretation of was that there would be seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. And so Pharaoh liked Joseph's interpretation, and he, he, he placed him in a position of authority. He was the administrator over dis the distribution of food. He held that position for the seven years of plenty. He held that position over the seven years of famine. And so for the next, not just 13 years, but 20 years, you see all of this happening to Joseph. And it all started because of a family squabble back in Genesis 37. The Joseph story takes up over 25% of the book of Genesis. And listen to this, because of this family strife that just started with a dad showing favoritism to one son, the end result of that was these Israelites would end up in Egypt where they would stay for over 400 years. The last portion of that 400 plus years, they would be slaves in Egypt. And it all started with family squabbles. Jacob's sons weren't the first, nor would they be the last to have brotherly disagreements. The reality is that families, even today, fight quite a bit. My family does. My brother and I, when it was just the two of us, I, I, I now have three siblings, but my next oldest brother and I used to fight all the time. I've been a chaplain at Parrot Funeral Home here in Fairburn for a number of years. As a chaplain, I will speak at the funerals of anywhere between 20 and 30 
memorial services every year. It amazes me how many families in preparation for memorial service are at odds with each other, fighting with each other. It happens more often than I ever imagined. Makes me very thankful for the funerals I just had this week of Miss Billy Joyner and Miss Sarah Peake. Their families were so united and were such a joy to work with at such a difficult time. But family squabbles happen just like this family squabble. And this particular one provides some meaningful truths about human nature. One of the truths we find in this passage is that in most conflict situations, every person involved, everyone involved bears some responsibility for being wrong. No matter what the squabble is, and I'm not saying that it'll always be 50-50. It may be 70-30 or 65-35, but you can count on this. In most conflict situations, maybe all of them, there's always someone There's always a case where everyone will bear responsibility for the wrong. Take, for instance, this story. Jacob shows favoritism to Joseph. Now, he's got 10 other sons. Later on, he'd have 11. You just can't do that. Any of us parents, I think we would would say that we try to treat all of our children equally. We may not succeed, but that's what we try to do. That's our ambition, Jacob didn't even have any ambition to do that at all. He was very clear that he favored Joseph. Joseph was his baby boy. Now, someone might say, well, Jacob had the right to do that. He was the father. Yeah, he did have the right to do that. But it's not about rights. It's about what is right to do. Whenever we read this story in vacation Bible school, all growing up, It was pretty clear who the bad guys were. It was Joseph's brothers. They're the ones who hated him. They're the ones who threw him in a dry well. They're the ones who sold him to slavery. They're the ones who lied to their father and put goat blood all over his coat, that wonderful Gucci coat that his dad had bought for him. And clearly those boys were wrong. Their jealousy, they were wrong for the jealousy they had for their brother. They were wrong to let that jealousy sprout into full-blown, blossoming hatred. They were wrong in what they did to him. And after they sold him, they were wrong to never go back and try to look for him all those years. Yes, they were wrong. Jacob was wrong. The boys were wrong. Let me just say to you, Joseph was wrong. You remember early in this story, Joseph is is working with his brothers, but he comes back and he gives their father a bad report about the boys. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us if that report was true, not true, good, bad, indifferent, anything like that. And perhaps it was true. We don't know. But this much we do know. And you'll remember this if you're as old as I am or maybe older. I mean, you remember when you were in school and there was always that person who was we had a term for them. They were a tattletale. You remember the tattletale? Now, the tattletale might be telling the truth, but nobody liked the tattletale. Nobody. Sometimes we just wish the tattletale would mind his or her own business. Joseph was the tattletale. And then 
He starts having these dreams. He has a dream. Oh, I was out in the, we were out in the field and my sheaf stood straight up and all of your sheaves gathered around my sheaf and bowed down before him. It's pretty clear what that, what that dream meant. And Joseph had to have known, I mean, I think he had to have known that that dream would not go over well with his brothers. And sure enough, it didn't. They hated him. They already hated him. They hated him even more. But let's give Joseph the benefit of a doubt. Let's say that he, he didn't know that his brothers wouldn't like his interpretation of that dream. Let's give him that. But then he has another dream. And in this dream, the sun, moon, and the 11 stars bow down before him and worship him. He has another dream. This time, what does he do? His brothers already didn't like the first dream, so what does he do? He tells them another one. And they hated him all the more. Now, the dreams turned out to be true. The dreams turned out to probably come from God. But I just sense a bit of arrogance in old Joseph. You know, I think he'd have been better off to keep kept his mouth shut right there. Everybody had some wrong to go around. In this conflict, as in most conflict situations, everyone bore some responsibility for being wrong. The second thing we learn from this passage about human nature is that we can waste the truth on people who are not ready for it. I want you to think about that. We can waste the truth on people who are not ready for it. So here's Joseph. He has these dreams. These dreams are true. In about 20 years, they would would come to fruition. The things that he had dreamed would come to pass. So they were true. When he conveyed those dreams, the meaning of them to his brothers, he was telling them the truth. But here's something that's very important to see in this passage. His brothers were not ready to hear the truth. They wouldn't be ready to hear it for another 20 plus years. It would be over 20 years before they started getting hungry and Jacob, their father, sends them down to Egypt where they run into Joseph. It would be over 20 years before they came to realize the truth of what Joseph was saying. But at the time that Joseph shared the dreams, they weren't ready for it. And therefore, Joseph basically wasted the truth. Y'all ever seen the movie, A Few Good Men? You ever seen that movie? Tom Cruise, Jack Nicholson. You know, Tom Cruise played this military lawyer and he's interrogating this tough guy played by Jack Nicholson. And at one point, Cruise's character is getting uh, frustrated with Nicholson's character and he blurts out, he says, I want the truth. You may remember what Nicholson's response was, you can't handle the truth. You see, truth is difficult stuff. Sometimes it's hard to handle. Herbert Agar in Leadership Journal said this a few years ago. He says, the truth that makes men free is for the most part the truth which men prefer not to hear. We can waste the truth on people who are not ready for it. Number three, we don't understand always the circumstances in which we find ourselves, but we can always trust God with our circumstances. 
To me, one of the greatest passages in Scripture is found in Genesis 15, verses 19 and 20. Jacob, their father, had died, and Joseph's brothers just knew that Joseph would exact revenge on them for all the way, ways that they had mistreated him. But, but when verse 19 comes, it says this, Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives. You see, Joseph had come to realize that in all those years of being sold, rejected by his brothers, sold into slavery, sent by false accusation into a prison, during all that time, God was working. He, I'm sure he couldn't see God working while he was in, sitting in that prison cell. Rarely are you and I able to see God working in our darkest trials. It's only after we come out of those trials and be able to look back and reflect on what has happened that we're able to see God's fingerprint. The same can be said for us. You and I may not always understand the things that happen to us that are negative, that are adverse, but one thing we can always trust is that God is working on our behalf even when it seems like life is falling apart. Number four, an attitude of redemption will take what apology one gets and will run with it. Joseph had an attitude of of redemption. The relationship with him and his brothers was one of deep division. We today live in a world of deep division. Joseph's brothers were so angry they wanted to kill him. Today people are so angry we lash out at each other in ways that are shocking. But in Genesis chapter 50, Beginning with verse 15, it says that Joseph's brothers came to him and asked for forgiveness. Now, I'll have to say this. They only asked for forgiveness because their daddy had just died and they just knew that Joseph was going to come down hard on them. Their motivation wasn't exactly right. But let's just face it. When, when you hurt somebody, you offend somebody, and if you go and apologize to them, how, how often are our apologies 99% caffeine-free? How many times has someone offended you and they come to you and they offer an apology and you're, you're thinking, wow, <laughs> that apology was not exactly what I, what I was expecting. It's, it's a little less than what I was expecting. But listen, Joseph's brothers come to him and they, they, they ask for forgiveness. They offer an apology. Granted, their motivation wasn't all that great. But what does, what does Joseph do? He forgives them. Why? Because his was an attitude of redemption, not an attitude of revenge. Redemption and reconciliation is so much more powerful than revenge. Joseph knew that. Finally, number five, seemingly small disputes can have long-term unforeseeable ramifications. Remember back in chapter 37, this small family squabble, this sibling rivalry, it started with a very simple act. A father showed favoritism toward one of his sons. It was that simple. You might look at your own family and you see some sort of conflict, some sort of crisis, and uh, it may seem small or maybe not, 
But let me tell you how we handle those crises, how we handle those conflicts is so crucial because down the road 20, 30, 40 years from now, the way we handle a crisis today will have long-standing and monumental repercussions. Jacob showing favoritism to Joseph was a small thing that ended up 30 years down the road with the whole family and all of their children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren in Egypt where they stayed, listen, they stayed for 430 years. You say, well, what's the problem with that? They ended up being slaves there. Well, Next time you get an opportunity, do a study in the Old Testament of people, God's people, who were in the promised land who went down to Egypt. And here's what you're going to find. God never intended for his people to stay in Egypt, ever. And God doesn't intend for you to stay in your period of darkness. He doesn't. But that little rivalry, that little favoritism ended up with them spending 400 plus years in Egypt. Folks, be so careful. What you do, what you say, how you respond, be careful. Because what you and I say and do today is going to affect somebody who's not even born yet. Let's pray. Father, oh, your word is so rich. And even a story like this one, Lord, that we have read thousands of times in vacation Bible school and Sunday school, We keep uncovering, we can keep digging and keep uncovering precious truths that they didn't tell us about in Sunday school. They didn't mention in vacation Bible school. Lord, help us to think about what we say. Help us to think about what we do. Help us to think about how we respond to the situations in our lives. Future lives will be affected by what we do and say today. God, help us to be careful. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing.